1: And follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. 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 Welcome to On The Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And for our final episode of 2021, we're giving you a special year-end review where we're going to go back and look at some of our favorite moments from the 2021 season and some of our favorite things that happened on the podcast this year. We'll get to that in a moment, but first, On The Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor & Home Carpet 1. Mercer is a third-generation family business that was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, thank Mercer, and thank you to Mercer for being a great sponsor this year, not just for us but for other shows here on Baltimore Sports & Life Radio. We really appreciate you, and hopefully listeners in the Westminster area are heading over there to check out floors and carpets because if you've listened to the show this year, you know you need to think Mercer. <laughs> so we'll jump right into our year-end review. And if you've listened to our prediction shows in the past, you know that usually the way it works is we'll read off a prompt that one of us wrote leading up to the show, and then we use that to make our predictions. We're kind of doing the same thing to year-end review where we've got a handful of things um, that we want to discuss that have to do with the Orioles, the minor leagues, and the show. Each of us wrote different prompts and are going to read them on air. And I'll turn this over to Nick to start off with our first prompt of the night.
0: So first question is, uh, what was the best gift 2021 gave to Orioles fans? We I mean, start with Bob.
2: Merry Christmas, to you as well um let's see I my answer is pretty simple to this I mean there was a lot to choose from even at the major league level as bad as the Orioles were you had a Trey Mancini comeback John Means no hitter a new 30-30 player in Cedric Mullins but for me it was just minor league baseball that was the gift that I didn't know we needed so bad after 2020 where it was a long empty road for this minor league podcast. Um, so just having my league baseball back and having these prospects go share their stuff and learn and develop and perform. that was uh, that was excellent to see. didn't realize how much I missed it, but it was amazing.
1: Well said, that was really a great gift this year for me. I'm gonna take Cedric Mullins 30 30 season. you know, for how as bad as things were at major league level, Mullins made every game a lot of fun to watch. I was actually there the night he hit his 30th home run at Camden Yards. Not very many people in the stands, but you could tell that the fans that were there were really into the fact that he had made this accomplishment. And to think of all the players that could have done this homegrown guy who has been through a lot of adversity, really struggled when he first got to the major leagues, dropped switch hitting this year. And we were expecting some improvement, but I don't think anybody saw a 30-30 season coming. So... I I would say that that was the best gift that Orioles fans got this year.
0: Yeah, Uh, definitely minor league baseball The season as a whole for sure. That was the most – 2020 was the most fun. I've written this a couple of times and said it before, but that was the most fun I've ever had as a baseball fan. Doing this podcast, keeping other fans educated on what's going on was so much fun. Finding these gems, the diamonds in the rough – uh, but I think from the minor league side of things, I mean, it, it's Adley Rutchman. I mean, that's the best Christmas present you could ever want. I mean, top prospect on the baseball, fantastic hitter, fantastic defender. But I think just expanding out to the major league side of things, I don't talk about very often. Uh, I'm going to watch more major league uh, Orioles next year because hopefully this is a much better team. But I think Ryan Moucastle, uh just 33 home runs in the conversation for rookie of the year voting. When I got into this whole spiel of like really diving into the Orioles system and becoming a f- true fan of minor league baseball, like Ryan Mountcastle was the guy. And you all, you always hear you know, people talk about with prospects, like it just sounds different off his bat. And I remember going to Salem to watch uh, Salem Red Sox, Frederick Keys when Mountcastle was there, left work early, drove down an hour and a half to Salem, front row, right there behind home plate. And when I tell you something sounded different off the bat, I understood what that meant when I saw Ryan Mountcastle hit a baseball um, shortstop, Brian Mountcastle at that time, I believe. Um, but I think this is a homegrown prospect who has made it in the major leagues. And I think he's going to be around for a very long time. And it's fantastic to see, to follow his being a prospect who really followed his journey from start to where it is now. I think it's pretty cool. Especially since he, he started off by opening
2: his stocking and it was just coal in there, one home run, <laughs> uh, one something batting average in April, and then it was off to the races.
1: Yeah, the way he turned it around this season after that slow start was impressive. He had a great year, uh, rookie of the year finalist or not. Definitely something to be proud of. And he has me excited for what he can do in 2022 and beyond. Speaking of Adley Brutzman, great prospect or the greatest prospect? And I'll let Nick start with this one.
0: I mean, I'm not a homer in saying that like he's a great prospect. Like, I mean and I can already hear people say like He's 24 years old. He hasn't reached the major leagues yet. Bobby Witt, whatever. Like, stop talking. Uh, the defense is truly elite. Like, the bat is so impressive for both sides of the plate. I think this is a guy who. It's the behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, the mental side of the game, his learning of the game, the way he interacts with his teammates, everything the coaches say about him uh, is everything you want to hear and more. Uh, so, I do think he's the real deal, and every single Orioles fan should be extremely ecstatic about Adley Rutschman's future in professional baseball.
2: Yeah, I think he is the greatest prospect that's still eligible. I mean, thank you, Juan Franco, for, for graduating. But, uh, yeah, I think what's the saying? A rising tide raises all boats, and I think that's what we're going to see at the Major League level next year with Adley Rutschman, not just the pure numbers that he puts up at the plate. I'm sure it'll be great, but the handling of the staff, the defensive ability, the leadership in the clubhouse, just the quiet way he professionally goes about his business. I just feel like he is going to be a, a turning point for this franchise as a whole. And Michael Elias is tied to him, you know, as far as one, one in his first ever draft. And this is who he's leading the charge with. And 2022 is going to be the start of the big turnaround for the Orioles.
1: Yeah. You said it right, Bob, the greatest prospect that is still prospect eligible I really see Rutzman as the guy that's going to turn this franchise around the major league level and who's very quickly going to become the face of this franchise just because of everything that you have both mentioned, which is not just what he does at the plate, and he's a really good hitter, um, not just with the defense because he is a great defensive catcher, but everything you're hearing about his leadership is top-notch. I, I think he's someone that when he gets to the majors next year – is going to settle in pretty quickly and show that he's a major league catcher on both sides of the ball and someone who could be a truly elite player in this game for a long time. And I know that there are still some factions of Orioles fans who fall back on Matt Wieters' career and say, well, that didn't meet the hype. And Wieters, if Wieters had been picked in the middle of the first round with no hype attached or not much hype attached, that you would have felt really good about his career but Weathers didn't quite get to, you know, Buster Posey level, which is where I thought, you know, where I think a lot of people thought Weathers was going to go. I think Rutschman is going to get there. He is going to be elite. He's going to be one of the best catchers in the game for a long time as long as he stays healthy. I'm not worried about him getting to the major leagues and being a bust. I just think that everything is there for him to be a good catcher in this game for a long time as long as he stays healthy.
0: Okay. Yeah. I think Bob said it best too with the Adley Regiment impact. Uh, a lot of his biggest impact. I don't think comes with the bat. It's going to come with stuff. You don't see on a stat sheet, stuff you can't measure. It's going to be, um, or at least you can measure indirectly. It's going to be the way the pitchers improve and perform. And the rest of the the guys in that clubhouse play behind him. Cause I truly think he is, he is a pure leader in that clubhouse. When he reaches the major leagues from day one, uh, I think he takes the reins. Uh, and so it's, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch him finally crack that major league roster. And i I don't know if I want it to be opening day. I do. Like, I do. Let's be honest. We all want him to be an opening day catcher. But I almost feel like the Orioles could plan out something huge for Ali Rushman's debut if they if they do wait a couple of weeks. Uh, and that is, that is a game that I, hell or high water, I'm going to be there with the rest of Birdland to enjoy that moment. Turning point of this franchise.
2: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I, I got to find a way. Even if we're in, like, San Diego or something, I'm, I'm going to fly out there. <laughs> Um, all right. So obviously, Rushman, he broke out in a big way, even though it was expected. But which prospects breakout season was the most surprising to you? Let's go with Nick first.
0: Um, You got to say Gene Bento. I mean, literally no one knew anything about this guy. Uh, seen as just a throw in in this deal uh, in one of the many trades with the Angels. And now he's skyrocketed up our top 50 list. Uh, he's a hardcore in our top 30. Uh, could he be a top 15 prospect by the end of the year? I think so. I think uh, other outlets like Baseball America, like update spreadsheets guys, like clearly you're, you're a little behind on the Gene Pinto hype here. I think other outlets are going to catch up to him and, and he's going to be a top 30 across the board. Um, and no one, no one saw the Gene Pinto train coming. And it's fantastic.
1: Pinto is a correct uh, pick. There's no question about that. But I'm going to go with someone else just because the one part of their game was something that I didn't see coming, and that was Zach Watson. Uh, I think if we had drawn up our best-case scenario for Zach Watson at the start of the year, it would have been a lot of stolen bases, decent batting average, good defense in center field. But I don't think anyone saw the 21 home run season coming except for Zach Watson. Uh, John Mioli did a great piece on Watson a few months ago in the Baltimore Sun, talking about how despite the fact that he is you know, a smaller guy, he's always been a power hitter. And that was something that coming out of LSU, not a lot of teams, I think, really saw in him. It was not something you were hearing about in the scouting reports coming out of the draft. So the fact that he came out, not only had a good year between two levels, finished the year in double A, but comes up with 21 home runs to go with 24 stolen bases and gives you that, you know, really good defense in center field makes me a lot more excited about what he could do than I thought I would be coming into this year. And, you know, I think that based off of some of the things we heard from Ryan Fuller about Watson's exit velocity, the way he can turn a high fastball, the power, I think part, at least some part of it is going to be sustainable. So I think for me, just, not only the breakout season from Zach Watson, but the power was a huge surprise.
2: There's great picks and I will never admit that. I didn't see Jim Pinto coming, So I can't say that I was surprised. Uh, I'll go with Kyle Stowers. Um, had him outside of my top 30 before the season started, looked at him as a guy that, yeah, this kid's got power, but I don't think he strikes out too much. He doesn't make contact enough. You know, is he's kind of just like a, You know, a fringe prospect at this point. Well, now he's number 10. Spoiler alert in my updated top 50 rankings personally. And this is a guy who we pretty much have penciled in as an everyday outfielder at the major league level as soon as what? June of next year. So he's a guy who hits the ball harder than Adley Rushman, who I just said was the greatest prospect. So go figure that. Um, He still strikes out a lot, but I just did not see his rise coming, dominating three levels Uh, And just getting into the Arizona Fall League and is clearly just a permanent part of the Orioles plans moving forward, despite starting the season in high A.
0: So none of us mentioned uh, either of these prospects involved in this next question, Uh, but is 2021, there could be some foreshadowing there, is 2021 the year that the Orioles officially lost the Manny Machado trade? Or are you still hopeful that Dean Kramer or Yusniel Diaz will bounce back and salvage that deal? We'll start with Zach.
1: I lean towards, yes, this is where we're, we're going to, you know, we are going to remember 2021 being the year that this trade was officially lost. Um, and I find myself now in the position where I sometimes think that the Orioles may have been better off letting Manny Machado walk in free agency and give Michael mm-hmm. Elias an extra draft pick in his first draft. But that was not the conventional wisdom. It's a trade deadline in 2018. No one thought, I don't think there were a lot of people who thought that was a good strategy at the time. So there's no point in really dwelling on it. But I think if one of those two bounces back and salvages this deal, it's Dean Kramer. Because there did seem to be flashes of what makes Dean Kramer a good pitcher there from time to time at Norfolk, especially a little bit later in the year. But it's clear to me that he's still got a lot of work to do to get to that ceiling of being you know, an effective mid-rotation starter at the major league level. And at this point, honestly, if he bounces back as a solid reliever, I would take that. But he certainly you know, was faced with some setbacks this year. And I'm just not convinced that even if healthy next year, Diaz is going to put it all together at AAA. I'm just not. And I think he's been surpassed by so many outfield prospects in the system now that you don't even really count on it anymore. We're not talking about him as the right fielder at the major league level at some point in 2022 because we think Kyle Stowers is a lot better than Euseneal Diaz. So that just shows you how much he has fallen off, and I'm just worried that even if he is healthy next year, he's not going to get back to the Euseneal Diaz, who was a top 100 prospect just a couple years ago.
2: Yeah, I have to agree. The trade has been lost, unfortunately. I mean, coming into this season, I ha- had figured Dean Kramer for, you know, a key part in our rotation moving forward, even if it was at the back end of it. And I bought a usnell Diaz jersey. <laughs> so, and now in the most recent article I just wrote, I don't even have usnell Diaz starting in AAA Norfolk's outfield. I have him stuck at DH just because I feel like he's got to be in there somewhere. I mean, the guy had like an OPS in the 400s, a 27 WRC+. plus. But I I do agree with Zach, though. If someone's going to salvage it at all, it's going to be Kramer. I feel like there's still a little bit. There's definitely talent there. It's just a matter of putting it together. I feel like he's more in his head than anything else. But maybe if he he throws to the greatest prospect of all time, more often he can maybe settle in as a middle reliever somewhere. But, man, it's pretty sad when you say we should have let Manny Machado walk as a free agent instead of trading him for five guys from the Dodgers.
0: Yeah. Um, this brings the mood down a little bit, but yeah, I wrote the trade off like six months ago. Uh, I wrote today in it. Well, today we're, we're recording this in advance. So a week ago uh, for Baltimore sports and that I was kind of done with using Diaz. I think I am done with using Diaz at this point. And I think a lot of it's just unfortunate injuries and they're really like Hustle injuries. I don't know if that's a real term or not, but I'm going to use it. They're like Austin Hayes style injuries where he's getting hurt because he's playing the game hard. He's playing the game the right way. Uh, he's given everything he has for this team, uh, but it, it's just the injury bug is just there. It's not going away. The bat's good. Uh, not great. It's good. The defense is really good. And I've enjoyed watching using the play, but I don't think it's over these injuries. And it was something I saw actually shout out to Patrick Brennan, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him on Twitter, but I think he used to write for Beyond the Box Score. And now he works for Kansas State baseball team doing analytical research there. But he's researching minor league hitters and he posted a graphic, uh, the the aging curve for minor league hitters, where like 22 to 24 is that sweet spot for player development. But Diaz is 25 now. And there's like, it just levels off completely at 25. Uh, So I just, that was another light bulb moment there where I think Diaz is kind of done. And Kramer. I was already really down on him, and then I watched. I went back to that series against Memphis, where I know everybody was terrible for Norfolk, but that game, it's clearly a mental issue with Dean Kramer. Uh, clearly, after watching him pitch in that game, but I can't get over it. And um, yeah, Bravek Valera. I mean, he's in Japan now, so I, I think that's done. Um, and Ryland Bannon. We didn't even mention Ryan Bannon. I don't think he's ever going to get a shot, to be completely honest. I'm not I'm not stressing over this trade anymore, though. It's, it's done, it's gone, we move on.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Bannon because I was just thinking about that. Um, my hope for him is that he's healthy next year. But, again, third base seems to be another position where the pressure has definitely been turned up, and he's going to have to fight for an
2: opening. So <laughs> yeah. I hope he can, but we'll see. If he wanted a perfect opportunity to – get a spot nailed down and get his opportunity in the major leagues. That was last year. And that clearly did not happen. So <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: yeah. What he hit 10, 11 home runs in like two weeks? Like if that doesn't give you a call up, I don't know what else will at this point, but
1: all right. So for this prompt, uh, what was the biggest thing you learned about the Orioles in 2021? And I'll start with Bob.
2: You know, I'll say that we knew coming in that Mike Elias, you know, he can add talent via the draft, via the trades. He's robbing people blind left and right when it comes to trades. But I feel like in 2021, we absolutely learned that not only can they acquire talent, they can develop it as well. One of my favorite articles I read this year was the Travis Salchuk article. I think it was Yahoo Sports where just talked about how the Orioles are up there with the most improved plate discipline and all these offensive numbers compared to 2019 to 2021. And and you saw with guys like Kyle Stowers and a lot of these guys we talked about as breakouts that there was real improvement. You, you hear John Mioli talk about it when he comes on our podcast that in 2019, the Orioles decided we're going to do this with the pitching, and then Delmarva comes out and has all those strikeouts. And then in, in 2021, they said, this is what we're going to improve on the hitting side, and they absolutely did it uh, every step of the way. So that, to me, shows that uh, they know what they're doing, and you just got to trust them and hopefully – If they can do it again in 2022, have a a goal and then achieve it, then there's uh, no links that uh, this this front office can't put this team to.
0: I think for me, the biggest thing I learned was definitely that this organization is 100 percent committed to their path of creating a winner. And I'm fully on board with that in terms of player development. Say what you will about the major league side of things, and I probably agree with you. But like, I don't call this a rebuild because there was really nothing to build from. Like, this is from scratch, from the ground up. I think that Elias and his staff have started. Sigma Doll, uh, you know, Kobe Perez, Matt Blood, all of these guys gotten together. Um, from the minor league side of things, I think because we're a minor league focused podcast, the plan is off to a fantastic start, and so many of these prospects made real gains. The coaching staffs as well, like Ryan Fuller's in the major leagues right now, Uh, Buck Britton, I think, is being groomed to play a a major role at the major league level at some point. I don't know if that's head coach or they want to spend money when they're ready to play and get a a veteran leader in that clubhouse or not. But either way, I think Buck Britton is on on a path there. Um, There's like real continuity in the system from the FCL, the DSL to the big leagues now. And you didn't have that before and i think i i know we put out last week uh this podcast brian gonzalez i randomly found it on instagram brian gonzalez old friend of the orioles former Orioles prospect he was on the show uh talking about you know when he was joined the orioles system like six years ago like they didn't i forget his direct quote he had but he basically said like this organization did not tell him how are you going to get from rookie ball to the big leagues it, it, it was all eyeball tests. It was all these old guys with, this is how we're going to do it. And this is how you're going to get better. And if you don't do what I say, then that's not going to work. And it's nothing like that now. Uh, these coaches and analysts, they listen to the players first. And I think that's huge. So I think if this plan fails, uh, that it's, it's going to suck. Uh, I don't even want to think about it. But I, I like that this organization is 100% committed to their plan. And they're going to ride it until it fails or it succeeds.
1: My answer is kind of along the same lines of both of yours. And I think that, that I go back to the first interview we did with John Meoli in September, where he talked about, you know, he covered the team in the Dan Duquette years as well. And he talked about how siloed everything was compared to how it is now, where it's not just, you know, minor league coaching staffs at different levels working together, but it's scouting and player development, all moving in the same direction, which is not something that you had in the past. And so I think that that really for me, you know, when I heard that it's kind of like, you know what, that makes sense. Now I feel like I really see that in the player development because you know the Orioles are drafting certain types of players that this player development system believes it can work with. So you can bring in a guy like a Kyle Stowers who hits a lot of home runs, but strikes out a lot um, pretty risky profile and really develop him and really get something out of him. And if this year proves to be the start of something big for a guy like Kyle Sowers, we're gonna know that the whole philosophy to hitting that has been carried out by Ryan Fuller and the other hitting coaches in the Orioles farm system is a big part of that. And I think that you know the Orioles Scouts and the team that you know works on the draft knows what's going to work in this player development system, knows what they have to work with. The player development system has a plan for these players. And that to me is probably the most encouraging aspect of the rebuilder. Certainly one of the most. So I would take that as my big
2: lesson from 2021. And we just talked all this good stuff about the minor league development and in the plan and how good things are going. So We know what 2021 was like at the major league level. And the ultimate goal is to have the major league team in the playoffs on a consistent basis competing for the world series. So in that regard, was 2021 rock bottom Zach?
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I think 2021 will prove to be rock bottom at the major league level. In some respects, I actually think that the second half of 2018 and 2019 were worse then this year, because at least this year, you know, you had Cedric Mullins' 30-30 season. You had John Means' no hitter, You had Ryan Mountcastle. You had Trey Mancini's comeback. So there were some good things packed into a year with a terrible win-loss record. But I think that I feel like at the major league level, the worst is over, even if I don't think the 2022 Orioles are going to be very good. And even if I think counting on them to – you know, completely turn the page in 2023 might be a tad optimistic. I still feel like the, the worst is over at the major league level. We're going to start seeing the Orioles make, you know, noticeable gains and improvement um, in 2022 and beyond.
0: This has gotta be rock bottom. Uh, I don't know how it can get any worse to be completely honest. Uh, and I know the pitching was a disaster uh, and we all wanted to see more from Keegan Aiken and Dean Kramer and Zimmerman and some others who made their debuts, but Zach mentioned a lot of this here, the silver lining is that, you know, is Cedric Mullins for real? And I know maybe not a yearly MVP candidate, but like can he be a solid major leaguer from here on out? Um, I think that's a big question. I know fan just had that piece diving into that, but Yeah, If so, um, that's a big win. Ryan Mountcastle, I think I just mentioned, he's for real. He's here. And I think there's still a ceiling there with Ryan Mountcastle for him to reach, not extraordinarily high or anything, but there's still more there that he can offer. And I think offensively, the Orioles found pieces. They found real legitimate pieces. You've got Ellie Rutschman coming up. Now build around that. And I think the Orioles really start cooking. And I know it's got to be the pitching. That's the biggest question mark here. But everything is trending in the right direction. and you cannot get any worse because I can't imagine what Orioles fans will do. If 2022 is any worse than 2021, because I was checked out week two um, and that, that was bad.
2: Yeah. I'm not going to lie. After 2019, I thought, Oh, this is rock bottom. How foolish was I? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I do think 2021 is rock bottom. And I think the team themselves think that 2021 was rock bottom because I, I just listened to John yoli again, he's everywhere on a Baseball America podcast talking about the Orioles prospects. And they're just talking about the system in general and the competitive window. And Muley mentioned that the team thinks 2022, the team will be interesting and 2023 the team will be competitive or contending. So I do think this was rock bottom and hopefully it's nowhere to go, but up from here.
0: Uh, My turn. I think i would do this. What was your favorite play of 2021 season? There were a lot of them. So, you have any favorite plays that stood out from this past season? We'll start with Bob. Go back to you. Uh, all right, I got uh, two honorable
2: mentions at the major league level. That Cedric Mullins catch that he made, robbing a home run over the fence, was pretty tremendous. I think uh, at out of state Orioles highlighted again recently just how awesome it was, and and I have to agree. Also, have to shout out Johnny Reiser. <laughs> I think that Nick, you just <laughs> tweeted that out pretty recently bringing that back to mind where he jumps over the fence in the foul ground, catches the ball somehow. Unbelievable. I think we even got a Grayson amount of, we guys, a retweet on that. But my pick for play of the year, favorite play of the year, was a Robert Neustrom inside the park home run, which is a play that I watched while we were sitting in the Bowie, Bay Sox press box, and I'm watching the Norfolk game on my phone via minor league TV. <laughs> and he hits the ball, player crashes into the fence, door swings open, balls rolling around. Neustrom, you know, he's got wheels, he's flying. It was, it was tremendous to see. Just, you, you, you don't get any better than that.
1: Yeah, I think that was my favorite play too. But I'll go more in depth on Johnny Ryder because, you know, it was the catch that was not a catch. But to run from, you know, left, left center field through the warning track and to jump over the wall and land perfectly on his feet in the bullpen is impressive. Not to mention, he did this in Richmond. That outfield is cavernous. The foul territory is huge, and he sprints over, and makes it look like it's nothing. I wish it had counted as an out, but you know what? It really doesn't matter because that was just a feat in and of itself, and it was fun that we got to have him on the show a couple weeks later to talk about that.
0: Yeah, that's unbelievable play. Uh, speaking get the Rodriguez retweet, like Grayson, you don't follow us, man, but you show some love. So what's up? Um, anyway, I think. Those are all great plays. One of the plays that sticks out to me was a very simple play, but the Adley Rutschman foul ball that he catches and then guns down to second base to finish off the double play. This man, I don't think it was a bunt attempt. Yeah, it was a bunt attempt. It was a bunt attempt. I don't know who the Tides were playing. Late in the season, Rutschman catches this pop-up that comes right back to him. He is already in the perfect, ideal textbook throwing motion to second base waiting for that ball to, to fall in his hands and a perfect throw to Mason McCoy over at second base to, to finish off the double play. Um, I think a lot of people when they saw that play myself included thought what can't this guy do? Um, it was so simple, but so beautiful. Um, the story of Adley Richman. Uh I think that was definitely one of my favorites. And I also keep thinking about the, this Joey Ortiz. There's a Joey Ortiz highlight that I know we put out. I just put it in my article that I wrote uh recently on BaltimoreSportsLife.com. It's just a play deep in the hole, third base side, and he slings over first base, gets the out. It's not like ESPN top 10 worthy play, but that was the play that said to me, like Joey Ortiz is a legitimate prospect and all the hype is for real. And that is why early in the season before his injury, Joey Ortiz was my prospect crush for a very long time this year. If I can make
2: a note on that Rutschman play, it kind of reminds me of the Manny Machado play against the Twins where he's charging in, pump fakes to first base and smartly gets a guy at third or caught in a rundown between third and home. It's just the instinct that he had just ingrained into him right there. It just shows like otherworldly baseball instincts that uh, prove why he's the best prospect in baseball.
1: When you have Maverick handling your system and he... May not have made the best defensive play by a catcher all year. You know, you've got something really special in Adley But shout out to Maverick Hanley. Um, if you head over to at PSL on the Verdes on Twitter, I think we have several clips of Hanley's defense. So definitely check that out if you want some plays that were not mentioned on that question. So moving on to the next one. If guaranteed health, who are you riding with? Grayson Rodriguez or D.L. Hall? And I'll start with Bob on this one.
2: Well, I think Nick just got picked off at first base uh, in between questions <laughs> oh, by yes. Maverick Hanley, but uh, <laughs> if guaranteed health, give me D.L. Hall if, if you can guarantee that he's going to stay healthy. I think his top-end stuff is actually a little bit better than Grayson's, which is definitely no slight on Rodriguez whatsoever. The guy is amazing. Best pitching prospect in baseball for a reason, because the floor and ceiling are both incredibly high. He's got four pitches. All right, I just don't want to offend. But Hall, I feel like his pure stuff might be just a little bit better. And especially coming from that left-hand side, touching triple digits on occasion. I just feel like if you can guarantee his arm stays attached to his body, then he's going to be a very valuable weapon in a pitching staff.
0: Yeah. I still think Dale Hall is like underrated from a national perspective um, because that, that raw stuff is just so good. And you want to talk about a competitor. I don't know if anyone else in this organization is a big of a competitor is D.L. Hall is. And same thing, like that's no slight on anybody else. That just speaks volumes about. So what kind of person and baseball player D.L. Hall is? And I wanted to say Hall as well, because I, I, that ceiling is higher. Uh, if I'm going to agree with Keith Law on one thing, it's going to be that, that D.L. Hall does have the higher ceiling than Grayson Rodriguez. But thinking about it a little bit more, like I'm riding with Grayson Rodriguez. This stuff is so good, just so, so good. And I go back to the start he made against Erie. When that eerie lineup had like Spencer Torkelson and uh, Riley Green, I think. I mean, that was a lineup that was just loaded with some of Detroit's top prospects. And Grayson Rodriguez made them look like a low A team, just dominated from start to finish. Uh, He still has a lot of development to go, I think. And I think he'd be the first one to admit that he does as well. But uh, I'm riding Grayson Rodriguez all the way to the World Series parade in 2024. Three, four, four
1: yeah I' thought about this uh for a while, and this was a good question. Paul does have the higher ceiling. There just are not a lot of pitchers in the game that can do what he does when he's healthy. um and I think that the ability for him to be a Blake Snell type, or perhaps even a little bit better than Blake Snell, is absolutely there as long as he stays healthy. But I'm gonna go with Grayson Rodriguez as well because what we saw this year was that he turned from being a good top 100 prospect to being the best pitching prospect in the game with the profile of an ace. There really is nothing that you look at with Grayson Rodriguez right now and think, oh, that's a glaring flaw that he's going to have to correct or he's, you know, not going to, he's going to be a bust. You just don't have that with Rodriguez. So even if he's not out there competing for the Cy Young for like a year in and year out stretch for five to 10 years, I still think the profile for him to be a really good starter at the major league level is there. And, I just like everything he brings to the table. So as good as I believe DL Hall can be, as long as he stays healthy, I'm going to take Grayson.
2: Got to love a question where there are no wrong answers. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this time next year, you know, it looks like Adley Rushman will be graduated. I think Grayson Rodriguez will probably graduated. Who will be the Orioles' top prospect in the system? And if you could just give your, your nominees before you announce your winner too. Let's go with Nick first
0: uh i think Gunnar henderson is an option obviously uh kobe mayo uh i'm gonna throw his name in the ring as well maybe not at this time next year but uh, he's gonna be very close up there but I, I think number one prospect this time next year i think he's gonna be whoever the orioles draft one one this year in this year's draft i think that will be the top prospect um going into next year when we have these graduations you know unless gunner henderson just explodes again next year because you know you know he's gonna start the year in buoy if he has a, a start to his year in buoy like he did with Del Marva this past season um then yeah i think gunner henderson takes the claim for top prospect but we just talked about uh, last week's show some of the initial draft thoughts and there are some studs and there are some young studs with super high ceilings And if the Orioles go that route and take one of them, I think they land one, one or or number one on Orioles top 30 list this time, at the end of the season.
1: You know, Henderson's definitely in that mix. Um, I would put Mayo in there as well. I wouldn't be shocked if Jordan Westberg, you know, if he goes out and has a big year and doesn't graduate next year, uh, he would have to be up for consideration for number one. And I think there is a possibility that DL Hall is still prospect eligible this time next year. So you have to consider that he could be the number one prospect, even if it's you know just a matter of weeks before he's no longer prospect eligible in 2023. But I'm going to go with Nick and say that whoever is picked with that first uh, selection in the draft is going to be the number one prospect, because I think that this is going to be a deep class with a lot of good options for that 1-1. And unless the Orioles go under slot, and draft someone that's further down the board that maybe comes into the system as a second or third best prospect. I think chances are that that player will surpass Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg, Kobe Mayo, maybe DL Hall as number one in the system.
2: Yeah, I think there's five possibilities. 1-1 one, one is definitely a huge possibility. Maybe the favorite to get this slot. DL Hall, if you just take the two of, <laughs> ahead of him off the board, then he would be. Number one, depending if you like him better than whoever they take at 1 1. I think Kobe Mayo and Gunnar Henderson are definitely possibilities. If they blow up, like Nick said, then they're right there. I don't think Jordan Westberg is the type of player to ever be a number one in a system, especially one as good as the Orioles. I'm going to go, though, with Colton Cowser. Let's just see that he hits the weight room this offseason. And if he can maintain his, his hit tool and his back control and his on base skills and add even a little bit more power and stick in center field. I feel like that is a pick that's going to look better and better over time. So that's my dark horse pick just because I don't think we should all have the same answer. Let's have some fun with this. So Colton Cowser, it is.
0: Eric Garfield, shout out would be super happy if Cowser ends up becoming the top prospect in this system at any point. Um, let's look at next question. What was the worst take on the Orioles in 2021? We'll start with hey. Zach. <laughs> Dan Connolly Memorial.
1: (laughs) You know, all right, which one of you two wrote this? Because I had to go, it was you, Bob. I had to go relive what was my least favorite take of 2021, which was Buster Olney's Twitter thread on August 10th, starting at 6.17 a.m. off a tweet deck, according to this information I have on Twitter. Buster writes, the Orioles on pace to lose 106 games this season. And in their previous two full seasons, they lost 115 and 108 games in 2018 and 2019. This is unprecedented in AL history. When the Players Union cites non-competitive behavior, the Orioles could be Exhibit A. It's just wrong. Now, the Orioles went on to lose 110 games, as we all know. But let's not dwell on that point. And the tweet is a tweet. You know, he's right to have his opinion. The problem, though, is that he continues to go on about it in response to other... Uh, Reader, So someone tweets at him, now do the Astros. His response, the Astros were the first team since the 1962-65 Mets to lose at least 106 games in three consecutive seasons. So tanking worked for them, but it doesn't always work, as the Phillies and other teams can attest. And then this was where it really goes downhill. Someone tweets at him, it's called a rebuild buster. The Orioles had three 100-plus loss seasons under Elias as well. As an Orioles fan, it sucks. But Elias has a track record of building an organization back up. Buster replies, there are many, many execs in baseball who believe that designing a team to lose is just wrong for a lot of reasons. And then it continues to go on and on. And this was the two replies that bothered me the most um, from Buster Olney. Yes, I believe that not every fan or paying customer understands its degree of failure is unprecedented to the point where it's just about impossible unless by design. And then the other tweet back here. No team must tank to contend. Ask Billy Bean. Ask Eric Neander. Ask Dayton Moore and Chris Antonetti. The Royals were really bad for a long time before they won the World Series in 2015 and got there in 2014. And I remember the Royals getting a lot of heat. I don't know that they tanked to this extent necessarily, but I remember Dayton Moore getting a lot of heat early in his tenure with the Royals. You know. The Astros caught a lot of heat. The Cubs caught a lot of heat. The Phillies, I don't really know that they necessarily tanked. And I think what's wrong with them is, you know, in part a failure to get the most of their homegrown players at the major league level. But that's a separate discussion for another show. But this, I'm not on Twitter for a reason. And I think this is it. Because I scrolled at this for 20 minutes because one of our patrons uh, put it in the Patreon chat. I scrolled to this thing for 20 minutes and I was like, why did I spend so much time on this? So that Twitter thread and all of the replies that came with it, get my award for worst Orioles take of 2021.
2: Well, I'm glad you did. Cause that was a entertaining five minutes there, <laughs> recounting that and it's just hilarious to me that Buster only can go out there and be the skip Bayless of baseball and then get fired up in the comments. Like you're responding to people left and right. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy. This was a great idea by me. Um, mine has to go. And the reason I even thought to add this to our, our questions was because I was writing my article for the predictions of the minor league rosters in 2022, and I'm going through these starting rotations at every level, and I'm thinking, wow, look at all these breakout candidates. Look at these studs that are in the rotation who have a chance to really you know, make it to the major leagues and contribute to a pitching staff. And I'm thinking you know what this cupboard is not bear Dan Connolly. I'm sorry, but I had to bring it up again. You suck. This is one of the (laughs) worst takes I've ever heard in my life. If you had any research or any skills to just even look in a box score, you would have not embarrassed yourself with this take. Congratulations.
0: I don't even know how to follow that up uh, from both of you guys. Uh, I think you guys nailed it. Uh, I was just going to say like any writer, anything from the national perspective uh, attacking the Orioles, I mean, that falls into it because I think outside Zach summed it up perfectly. I don't even know where else I can go with that. Um, but, yeah, I was going to avoid the Dan Connolly, but I'm glad Bob went in on it again. Uh, so anytime you want to you want to bring that up and go after Dan Connolly, I fully support because uh, I haven't made it on our Twitter banner there that the cupboard, the cupboard is full, the cupboard is stacked. I forget what I put on there. But uh, this minor league system is loaded. The Ori- I mentioned earlier the Orioles have a plan. They're sticking to that plan. They're going to ride with that plan, and let's see it pan out. Um, we can have a discussion about what's happening to the major league level for sure, uh, but – Yeah, I think you guys summed that one up pretty perfectly. So
1: on a happier note now, uh, (laughs) super bold prospect prediction for 2022, and I'll start with Nick.
0: This one, I tweeted this the other day, and I'm going to stick with it. I think super bold. I wrote this question thinking it's very likely probably not going to happen, but let's have fun with it anyway. I think my super bold prediction is that this time next year, we're talking about Carter Baumler as a top 10 prospect in the system. I think that might be extreme. That's probably pushing his timeline a little bit. He did have Tommy John surgery last year. So we've yet to see him pitch in the professional ranks um, since they drafted him out of the high school. But the more you read about him, and there's not a whole lot yet up to this point in his career. But the more you read about him and the more we heard out at the alt site in 2020, because I think I believe he was there. And that's where the injury occurred the Orioles seemed to be extremely high on him and they paid him a lot of money to persuade him to bypass his commitment to TCU, where I think he was going to pitch and play football. I think he was going to kick for them as well. Um, And he turned down other organizations who offered more money, I believe than the Orioles. And he took the Orioles offer to sign with Baltimore. I think that's my bold prediction that Carter Baumler is going to be a super secret weapon in this organization and be a top 10 prospect next year.
2: I do like that. I think Ballmer's really going to establish himself as a guy that that was hiding under our noses the past couple of years and we didn't realize what we had. But my bold prediction is going to be that one of these four players, I'll, I'll, I'll pick a particular one, but one of the four DSL players that have really jumped out is with uh, Michael Hernandez, Samuel Basalo, Anderson De Los Santos, and Junior Lara. I think one of them is going to make full season ball In 2022, and if you know from the likes of Julio Rodriguez, Noel V. Marte, Christian Robinson, along those lines, if you're 18, 19 years old and you're performing in full season ball, you're a top 100 prospect. So I think I'll go with Samuel Basalo will be a top 100 prospect in baseball this time next year.
1: I like both of those predictions. I'm going to go with this, and this is something that I know some of our listeners are aware of. Michelle Desone is actually Rule 5 eligible after the 2022 season, according to fan graphs. And I'm going to predict that Desone a, earns a 40-man roster spot next year, despite his youth, the fact that he's going to be a few years away from the majors. I think with the breakout season that he has between Delmarva and Aberdeen next year, the Orioles are not willing to take the risk that another team chooses him and rides him on the bench for most of the year. And that he's gonna, you know, cement his place as one of the best outfield prospects in a system that is loaded with outfielders, and he'll earn a 40-man roster spot. It's not gonna be one that pays off into, you know, him making the majors right away, but it's gonna show that the Orioles have a lot of confidence in him getting there.
0: I love that. I let's just do a bold prediction, a super bold prediction show, and get weird with it because um, <laughs> so that was amazing. Now I'm super jacked, and I want baseball like right now.
2: I know, right?
0: <laughs> well, if we could take a
2: moment to pat ourselves on the back, what moment from 2021 made you the most proud of the podcast? So let's go with Zach.
1: We all know what it, it is. <laughs> we all know that it was Mike Elias shouting us out on Twitter. And I'll let you, the two of you speak to that more because I'll go with kind of the moment where I'm like, oh, we might have something here. It was when we got Eric Longenhagen on the show. Because we had kicked that around for a while, like, oh, let's have Eric Longenhagen on. But I'll admit that I don't really know that I thought it was going to happen. We talk about it um, when we finish the show one night. And then Bob messages Nick and I, I think a day later, and says, got Eric Longenhagen booked uh, for next week. And like, And then we have him on the show. And the interview was great. He had a lot of good answers. And then from there, it was just like, We just kept rolling with getting guests lined up. The show, I think, you know, really went places from there. So for me, that was kind of the moment in 2021 where I'm like, oh, we might have something here.
0: That's because a little going behind the curtain a little bit on the show. Bob is not afraid to slide into anybody's DMs and (laughs) get you you to respond. So that's all the credit to him there.
2: Come on, Kevin Goldstein. Get back to me. Yeah.
0: Um, I guess for me, that's obviously the great one. Um, I remember putting out that tweet too. We were so close to like 3,000 followers and I my I was out to dinner with my wife and uh, I think she was like paying and I was just like, I'm just going to be like, let's, let's see if we can get to 3,000 followers. And then I'm sitting there eating ice cream downtown and I see Mike Elias retweeted, quote tweeted us with that. And that was just an unbelievable moment for the show. It was... Uh, A moment I will never forget. Uh, But I think for me, another one too, something a little bit more personal, I think uh, we got a message and I'm not going to say his name, but we got a message right after the minor league season ended from a player in the system. And he said, let's say his name. I feel like I could read the message, but he said, fellas just wanted to reach out and say, thank you for following our game so closely. Always looked forward to seeing what you guys had to say about the games. Um, A lot. We had so much fun interacting with the players this whole, this whole year bringing someone to show, uh, and to to see them kind of retweet these highlights and hype each other up. Grayson Rodriguez using highlights at DL Hall, being like, that's my boy, that's my man. Uh, look how filthy this Nick Vespi highlight is. Um, it was pretty cool to see the camaraderie among these guys and to know that the players appreciate it. And so I think this you know, it's an opportunity for us to just pat ourselves on the back, but I feel like we educated a lot of fans uh, on who these guys were, and uh, we helped the players get their names out there a little bit as well.
2: Yeah, just the way it felt like the world stopped when Michael Ias tweeted that out. It's like everyone's messaging me, oh, my God, did you see what happened? And it's like, wow, that did just happen. But obviously, I mean, small stakes compared to a lot of the world. But just as huge Orioles minor league fans, that was like such a huge moment. But for me personally, the one that it's maybe not proud, but just that made me look at my wife and be like, oh, yeah, you don't think I should be doing this? (laughs) It was when we were at the Aberdeen Ironbirds game uh, for my son's sixth birthday, and we went on the dugout to answer a trivia question, and little did I know, they give you the answer before you can go on there, so it wasn't much of a challenge. We got a Horizon movie theater gift card. Um, and after I get done with that, we're on the big screen, obviously. I look down and someone tweeted at me, is this you, with a picture of me on the big screen? I'm like, what the hell? Someone just recognized me at the Aberdeen Iron Aberdeen Ironbirds big screen. That's pretty crazy. So... Yeah, that would be mine.
0: Uh, I think what, looking back, at some of the interviews we had. What interview did you learn the most from? Let's start with Zach on this one.
1: It's hard to pick a single one. I would say that accumulatively, I learned so much from John Mioli's two appearances. And you, you know, we know that John is obviously really good at what he does. I mean, if you hear us cite him on air a lot. But in our chat that we had to communicate with each other between shows, John Mioli's name probably pops up four or five times a week. Like, you know, he just wrote this or remember when he wrote that. I would say that those two shows accumulatively, I learned a lot more than he has even written about the inner workings of this organization, what goes on with the farm system. Um, I will say, though, that every single time Stephen Loftus is on this show, I learn something. So when he's on for the draft, I just try to soak in all the information I can get because he's really smart. He knows what he's talking about. And the to have him at Baltimore Sports and Life here as a guest and then his co-host duties at the warehouse, along with Chris Stoner and Matt Corey, uh, definitely brings great insight to the table.
2: Yeah, honestly, for me, Every time we have a guest on, it always like surprises me how good it goes. Like Even a couple weeks ago, Vivek learned a lot about the Rule 5 draft and the guys that are eligible there. I could just go down the list. seems like every single time. Even Kyle Glazer, he's a little bit more negative, but I definitely learned something from that interview. But for me, my favorite interview of the year would probably be Matt Blood, just getting him on here talking about the Orioles in depth and, and what they're doing in the minor leagues. That, that was a. Uh, that was a big get for us too and I just I thought that interview went really well. I feel like we learned a lot there. But really everyone that we interviewed this year was was great and appreciate their time.
0: Yeah, Matt Blood was really awesome interview. Uh for him to come on this little small timey uh podcast, you know that before the season started, we had like barely we didn't even have 500 followers on twitter uh, and like hardly anyone was like interacting with us shout out to the, the day one hardcore uh followers but once the season started and it really took off and ballooned and to have guys like in the front office not just the players but guys in the front office as well acknowledge um and want to come on the show and talk about uh, prospects with you guys the listeners as well it was pretty awesome one of my favorite interviews though honestly was honestly it was zach peak to go another route just because he was so laid back and awesome with his answers and that you really got a better sense that these guys are truly like they're friends. They're more than teammates. Uh, they're in this together um, and they, they learn so much from each other and it's the guys too the, the names that he dropped in that interview, you know, he, yes, Grayson Rodriguez deal hall. Yes. We know who those guys are. But, you know, when you're dropping names like Jake Prezina as someone who you're looking up to in this organization, um, I think that shows even more like the depth of of talent in here. These guys are professional baseball players. They all are at the best at what they do. Uh, And they're all continuing to learn from each other. I think that was awesome. And shout out to Johnny Reiser as well. I wasn't on that episode. I was at the beach uh, with very minimal, if ever, any Wi-Fi uh, at that house. But uh, I love listening to that as well on my uh, morning walk on the beach, listening to the poetic sounds of Johnny Riser's voice. Um, <laughs> but you know, to the growth, it's really amazing to hear Orioles prospects themselves talk about the the growth from like the pre Elias era or early Michaelized era to now, uh, and how they're all buying in on this as well. That was really cool to, to listen and get insight from. <laughs>
2: If I could also just shout out one more, it's uh, Ryan Fuller doing that interview in person at the Bay Sox Stadium and really did feel like learned a lot about just the ins and outs of like how Kyle Stowers adjust in between the bats and stuff like that. And now the dude is the major league hitting coach. So that was a lot of fun, too.
1: Yeah, he was absolutely great. So what interview would you most want to have on the show for 2022? And I'll start
2: with Bob on this one. <laughs> There's so many that I want. I want Brad Sieulik for the draft. I want some Kobe Perez for the international. But number one on the list has got to be the big guy himself. I want to talk to Michael elias Come on, you, you tweeted us out. Come on the show and let's have some fun. We'll take it easy on you. We'll ask some good questions. But come on, Mike, get on here.
0: Yeah, the dream. um Yeah, I think from like a player personnel side. Uh, Kobe Perez would be number one. I think that's one area that, you know, we don't know a lot about uh, the international guys. Uh, and that's, I think, the real the looking ahead to 2022, I think the biggest storyline from the minor league side of things is going to be the rise of the international prospects. And so to get Kobe Perez's insight would be fantastic from a player side. And I really want this interview I really want him to come on the show, but I'm afraid that like I'm going to like fangirl way too hard and not be able to compose myself. Uh, but it might get a little weird, but I want Kobe Mayo on the show because the kid is the truth. I am a huge believer in Kobe Mayo's ability becoming a, a future elite prospect across baseball, not just a, a good Orioles prospect, a truly elite prospect and, and solid major leaguer. And so I think that would be uh, a fantastic get player side of things.
2: Definitely thought you were going to say Brandon Hanafy. <laughs> I,
0: I, I, I talked to him before. It's all okay, <laughs> whatever.
1: Um, well, when Chase De Lauder goes to the Orioles, one-one, we're having him on the show. So, of course, of course. Yeah,
0: Chase, what's up, man Yeah, what's we're
1: good? having him on, but um, it, really, anybody from the front office um would be great. <clears throat> would be great. Michael Ias, obviously, being the big one. I would say a guy that I want to talk to more though is Jordan Westberg, because if you have not read it, um, go back and read an interview that he did at Fangraphs back early in the season. And I didn't really know much about Westberg beyond what you read in the scouting reports and beyond what you know some in the Orioles organization were saying about him on the record. But he is a smart guy with a smart approach to the you know to hitting. And that was really reinforced by Zach Peake when he was on our show that, you know, he wants to pick Jordan Westberg's brain um, for how to attack hitters because Westberg is a smart guy. He's willing to share that information. And, you know, a lot of people feel like he's somebody who's going to be doing this at a high level for a long time. So, Westberg, I think, would be a really interesting guy to talk to.
2: Yeah, that's good. And I don't know how great his English is, but Felke uh, Peralta is definitely a guy who's been through both regimes pretty hardcore. So that would be interesting to see his thoughts on the differences there as well. But uh, last question of the show, as we look ahead to 2022, what are your new year resolutions related to the podcast or the organization as a whole? Let's go with uh, Nick.
0: Oh man. from I guess from, I'll take it from like the podcast side of things. I mean, uh, We've received a lot of great feedback from fans, listeners, uh, followers on social media. Continue to give us that feedback as well. Let us know what you want to hear. I think we're very open to that um, constructive criticism, things you like, things you don't like, and build on that to become like I envision this. I want this to be like the number one source on the internet for Orioles minor league coverage. Uh, and I know the three of us work hard on that every single week to create a great show, great social media content. The players make this so much easier uh, to be totally honest. We're just like, we're not, we're just here highlighting these guys. Um, and I, I'm pretty proud of all that we've done here and what we've grown. Um, but yeah, I just want to continue to be the number one source uh, bringing in more interviews, because I feel like a lot of fans, you look at prospects and you know, you look at a guy like Zach Watson, like, He's not a top 30 guy on MVP pipelines list. He's a nobody. Uh, I feel like a lot of people kind of have that take on prospects when, like I just mentioned, these guys are all professional baseball players. They are the best of the best. Um, Baseball is hard and getting to the major leagues is even harder. And so like bringing more of these guys, letting them tell their own story on our show uh, for fans to hear, I think would be fantastic because we have this audience um, and kind of using that same audience, using that reach that we have to maybe do, more good next year um, kind of being inspired by I know someone we've talked about can interviews wanting to get on the show is Emily Walden. Uh, and so like people like that have inspired me to like, let's use our audience next year uh, to create more good in the world of minor league baseball. And, and I think we can do that. And I think 2022 is going to be a huge, huge year, not just for the Orioles, but for ourselves as well. My new
1: year's resolution seems relatively small in scale to that. And those are all great points. Nick and I definitely agree with you, but I really want Bob to wear the Usneal Diaz jersey on air uh, for an episode. And I know that any, like people who are listening to the show you know, through podcast apps just aren't going to get the effect of it. But I just really want for our live stream audience, them to see Bob in the Usneal Diaz jersey. It would be great if it coincides with him making his major league debut. But Bob has mentioned that a lot uh, on this show. <laughs> He has yet to wear it, I think, uh, while recording a podcast. So, And, you know, Bob, you are getting a new studio um, sometime here in the next few weeks. So I think that would be a good time to roll out the Diaz jersey. Wear it on the air.
2: Yeah, I'd love to. I think it's in storage <laughs> right now. I think I that was probably the first thing I threw into that storage pod. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mentioned it a lot because I'm not going to get my money's worth from wearing it. Might as well talk about it as much as possible. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll have to do that for sure if he makes his major league debut. I'll definitely slip that on for sure. And I guess for me personally, I I love what Nick said. That was, I'll echo that 100%, but to add on top of that, you know, we're going to have our 100th episode in 2022. I like round numbers. I'd like to get a hundred patrons up in here. Just because I think we, we uh, deliver quality content. I think all of our patrons would uh, second that. I think we can, um, we can enlighten you even more with our daily box score recaps and all of our WhatsApp group chats. So would like to do that. doesn't really matter one way or the other, but it would be cool. And just, I just want to keep pumping out content and keep watching more and more Miley Baseball every year. And, uh, yeah, watch the most I ever have in 2021. I want to beat that again in 2022. So, yeah, love the podcast. Love doing it. Love Minor League Baseball. Love the Orioles. Thanks for listening to us all year long.
1: I'll throw in one more resolution, but it's gonna involve us having to really coordinate our schedules. We saw a game in Bowie last year. Let's hit at least three of the four uh full season affiliates next year. To figure that
2: out, but it
1: might be something be, to aspire that towards.
2: That'd be cool. That would definitely be cool.
0: That was. Definitely, I want to get to more games. I wanted to get to more games this year, but just did not. Everything continues still going on. Now. Hopefully, twenty twenty two looks better in terms of you know the health side of things and, and the world in general. Uh, but twenty twenty two, I would love to meet more fans in person at games. I think that would be awesome uh, and spread the word there. But um, I think about that, and then I think about it. I'm going to have my second kid like the first week of minor league season. Uh, so if you do see me at games, more games next year, if I can sneak away, um, buy me a beer, please, because I'm going to need it.
2: <laughs> yeah. And the dream would be to go uh, cover my league spring training for a week or so. But that might be more of a 2023 uh, resolution than 2022.
1: So we will take one listener requested on this show because we thought this is a pretty good one. It came out of our Patreon chat and it's from David Adams. A player service time is not an issue is Grayson Rodriguez ready for day one in Baltimore, or would he be better suited to spend a month or two uh, more in AAA? And this is, you know, provided that the ongoing CBA negotiations lead to service time manipulation being eliminated in some way. And Grayson Rodriguez no longer is going to be held back for that reason. And now the Orioles would have to consider putting him in their opening day rotation for the 2022 season. So, I'll start with Nick on that question. What do you think? If service time is not an issue, is Grayson Rodriguez in the majors or is he back in AAA regardless?
0: That's a tough question. Um, I, I think Michael Elias himself has said recently or at the end of last year that Rodriguez will have every opportunity to compete for a major league job. Uh, he thinks he can compete for that major league job in spring training this upcoming season. Obviously, not saying, you know, the, the, the elephant in the room of service time manipulation. But uh, I think after watching him in double a, he completely owned that level. I think he should have been moved up to AAA before the end of the year, but it seemed maybe that was like an innings thing. The Orioles did not want to extend these guys or really push these guys as far as innings are concerned. Um, the thing that concerns me is there's just so many differences between like the baseball with triple a. And we saw a lot of prospects kind of go up and down in the beginning. Um, so I don't know if you want to put, the top pitching prospect in baseball, if you want to like throw him to the wolves at the major level that early when you know the team's not going to be that great next year. So I I think even without service time issues, he starts the year in AAA. But I mean, to end this on a super high note, like at the end of next season, midway through next season, probably at the earliest, you're going to have a night where you get to go to Camden Yards and watch Grayson Rodriguez pitch to Adley Rutschman at Camden Yards in a game. That means everything. Uh, And so I think that is, something very exciting to look forward forward to in 2022.
2: Wow. Yeah, that is a great point. Um I think even if CBA changes the rules, you know, I do think he'll be one of the top five best starting pitchers that the Orioles have under their control. But if only for innings limit purposes, I feel like you're going to want to delay him a month so you can get him maybe like four or five innings starts in that month of April before he really kicks it into high gear starting in May.
1: Yeah, I have gone back and forth on this because I tend to favor at least some AAA time for pitchers because I think that there are things that AAA hitters are going to expose that AA hitters won't. Um, basically, just for example, uh, you can look at a guy like a Kyle Bratis um, and you can see that you know for a little while there, his command was struggling a, a little bit at AAA and I'm sure part of that was going up against more experienced hitters with better strike zone judgment. So it's the little things like that that I do think matter and that you want to iron them out. Rodriguez is so far ahead developmentally that I'm not as concerned about that with him. So the main thing for me would be the baseball. Is that going to be a difference maker for him? Is he going to have to adjust to that? Because if he does, you don't want him doing that at the major leagues. Um, So he would go to AAA. But I I lean towards him starting in AAA, but I think if there's any prospect that can make that jump from double A to the majors right out of spring training, it's him.
0: Yeah, I mean, what else does he have to prove in the minor leagues other than getting used to that ball? I think, I mean, strikeouts, he was one of, I think the only qualified pitcher in all of minor league baseball to strike out more than 40% of the batters he faced Um, like the walks. Yeah. You could say the walks might've been a slight issue at times in Bowie, but I think most of the time when he ran into those big roadblocks, he overcame them. Uh, and you want to see him get pushed more. I think maybe now thinking out loud, I think that's the only thing you want to see. Maybe if you start him in AAA, let's see him go six innings, seven innings, because we really didn't see him pushed last year. Let's see if he can get over that that hump and really go through an order three times. Um, other than that, though, like I don't really know what else Grace Rodriguez has left to prove in the minor leagues. But.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. And at the same time, there's only so many innings in a – in a major league pitcher's arm, so why not have them all be at the major league level, starting on opening day?
1: Definitely something to watch as we get closer. It would be really interesting to me if we open the season with a rotation that has John Means, um, ace free agent acquisition Jordan Lyles, uh, Kyle Braddis, uh, Grayson Rodriguez, and one of the other you know prospects that is in the majors or knocking on the door of the majors. That would be really interesting to me. But admittedly, that's a little bit of a pipe dream. So just um, some final thoughts here. First of all, thank you to all our listeners for a great year. We couldn't do this show without you. Your support, uh, whether it's through Twitter, through watching us on our live streams every week, listening to the podcast, reading our articles at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. We appreciate it. We couldn't do this without you. Also want to thank Chris Stoner, the owner of Baltimore Sports and Life, who's been very supportive of us over these last two years. Um, Certainly go check out the site and listen to Chris, Matt Corey, and Stephen Loftus over on the warehouse. And while you're at it, check out the other shows here on Baltimore Sports and Life Radio, because there's a lot of good content going around the site in our podcast. So be sure to check them out. And um, thank you to the players and coaches who made the 2021 season so memorable at the minor league level. And, you know, the majors as bad as it was, there were still good times this year and, uh, you know, try to remember them too. And to Trey Mancini, especially uh, made a lot of people proud this year. So thank you. And uh, Bob, Nick, any
2: final thoughts? I could not have said it any better myself. I love doing this and I, Love just having the interaction. I think it's really cool. It adds a lot to it. You know, I would do this for free, even if no one could hear or see it. So to have people to listen to it and interact back and forth, it's really cool. And I've never, I don't think I've had a single really negative interaction. So bring it on. The more the merrier. Let's test that theory in 2022.
0: Yeah, I, I think like I mentioned earlier, we're going to 2022 is going to be an even bigger year for us. And I'm excited to see how all of this unfolds and bringing more content. And yeah, anything that you guys as listeners, uh, anything you all want to hear uh, us do better or do more of or bring to the table, like let us know. And, and we will be happy to do it because we always want to push ourselves, become better. And like I said, I want us to be, I feel like we already are, but I want us to be the premier source for your Orioles minor league coverage, because all three of us truly believe in what is happening down the farm system. And the more people realize that um, maybe we won't be so angry all the time, uh, but it is Twitter. So I guess take what we can, but yeah. Thank you guys all for, for listening to the show this year.
1: Well, be sure to follow us on Twitter at BSL in the Verge, check out Baltimore for all the latest articles there. Hop on the message boards when discussing with BSL writers. And fellow readers, uh, Bob and Nick have pieces up on the site that are new. Um, Nick has looked at players who are on the mend with injuries and has breakout candidates as well in a piece, which we talked about in our last episode. Bob has his 2022 projected opening day rosters, which we're going to talk about in our first show of 2022 next week. So be sure to listen to that one. Um, In the meantime, though, continue to follow us and thank you for your support this year. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedin. You're listening to On the Verge.